Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, remember where we left off, guys, last week, okay? We know that Jesus has been arrested, right? He's been arrested in the garden. He's been taken to Annas' house. Now, if you've been tracking with us, we've been doing the law and order portion of our text, the law and order, the law and order. You go, what is that? Well, the law part of the text was when Judas came with a detachment of troops to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you recall, a garden uh, or a detachment, guys, is three to six hundred people. There, he, Judas somehow got three hundred to six hundred guys. We don't know exactly to come and arrest Jesus. And where did they arrest him? They arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, guys. This would be the law part of our text. And of course, last week we saw the order part, which would be the trial of Jesus. If you've known anything about the TV crime TV series called Law and Order, it's always the arrest, and then it's always the trial. Well, we saw a little bit of that, but within the trial, we saw another story. And I don't know if you recall that, but last week, we, we dug really, really deep, and, and we got sidetracked with a little bit of another story. It's the story of Peter and Peter's missteps, if you will, right, to a, a, a denial or a, a downward fall. This is, where, this is how it happens. And so what we want to do, guys, is, is we want to remind you of those things, and I'll tell you why. Because I think we can all relate to Peter. Can I get an amen? How many of you can relate to Peter and going, man, there's too many times I'm just like Peter. I put my foot in my mouth. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. I cut some dude's ear off. I hope you don't do that. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? And so we can relate to Peter. Well, last week, guys, last week we saw five downward steps to a great fall. And I think it helped. I think, I think we can apply it to us. You go, why? Because the same thing that Peter's going through is the same things we can too. Well, let's take heed. The first thing we learned last week by way of recap is Peter was overconfident in himself, in his pride. Peter said, Lord, I don't care if all of these, he, he said it this way in Texas, I don't care if all y'all deny Jesus, I'm going to, and he's trying to stand firm in who he is. And that's the one thing we can, the first misstep, guys, before we fall, is that we're overconfident in who we are and in our walk. Our strength comes from who? Jesus. Our strength comes from the Lord. I need that. And so our prayer should be every morning, God, I I don't want to misstep. I don't want to misrepresent you. I need your strength. I can't do it on my own. You see, the problem is, is the longer we've been a Christian, the more we think, I can do it. I've been walking with Jesus a long, long time. How long have you been walking with Jesus? 45 years, you're still prone to a misstep. Here's Pete. Pete was walking with the Son of God face to face. And he's still, I can do it. That's the first thing, guys. Check your walks. Number two, the second misstep we saw, if you weren't here, guys, was a lack of prayer and devotion, both in good times and in bad times. It's a lack of prayer. Why? Because Jesus said, guys, Pete, hey, listen, can you just pray and watch with me one hour? This is, this is trying times. This is, this is, this is for real, dude. This is, I'm going to die. Can you pray? What does Peter end up doing? Snoozeville. Snoring. Pete, Pete, don't you understand? And here's how we can apply it. Guys, for us, the one thing we do is when we see our lives, when we see that we begin with a lack of prayer and devotion. You see, when we can look back and pinpoint and go, man, I remember when I prayed about everything. I remember when I was just constantly in prayer. It was like praying without ceasing. I remember that. You know, when I woke up lately and I just, I just don't have a de- urge to pray. I, I pray. I mean, I pray for food and you know, my devotion consists of the 15 minutes I drive to work, but that's it. I don't really talk to God the rest of the day and I get home and I've got to make dinner and, blah, 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 and, and we miss it. And so we can see that whether it's a good time or a bad time, what happens is that another misstep, guys, is lack of prayer or devotion. Let me tell you, the first thing that goes in our life, guys, when we start to be overconfident is our devotion life. I used to get up and pray, and now I get up and drink coffee. And I don't have time, and we start to lose that devotion life. Be careful. Pete's warning us. Pete's warning us. You go, what's the third misstep? Well, the third misstep, guys, is when we begin to follow Jesus at a distance. You go, what do you mean? 
notice your walk with God. You see, at one point, it used to be spirit-filled. You were excited about your walk with God. He was your everything. You talked to him every day. You read your Bible. He was your all in all. Can I get an amen? But when we have a misstep, guys, then all of a sudden, we begin to follow God at a distance. Maybe he's just not prominent so much anymore in my life. You know, on Sundays, Jesus, you, you got Sundays, Lord. Okay, Lord, you got Sundays from 9 to 12. Okay, you got, that's, that's your time, Lord. I don't want to rob you of that. But the rest of the time, see, that's when we start walking at a distance. And then the fourth thing is when we begin to walk at a distance, church, listen to me. When we begin to walk at a distance and we begin to follow, then what happens is that we, we are all the more tempted to end up in the wrong place. We're all the more. You said, why? How, where do you get that? If you recall, Jesus looked at the guys and he said, hey, when I'm going to die, and when I'm resurrected, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Okay, you guys meet me in Galilee. Well, Peter begins to follow at a distance, and where does he end up? He ends up in Temptation Central. If he had never been there, he would have never been tempted to deny the Lord. So we have to be careful. We start to, you guys know what I'm talking about. You start following at a distance, it's so much easier to be tempted to do the wrong things or to compromise your walk. Well, where does that end up? It's the fifth misstep that we see. You know, what's the fifth misstep? Warming ourselves at the enemy's campfire. Warming ourselves. You go, what do you mean? Hanging out with the wrong people. That's where you end up, hanging out with the wrong people. And so really, guys, here's an admonition for us to check who, who, who's in our circle, who's really lifting us up, who's really, I mean, who's speaking life into us and who's speaking death, Right? Well, you go, well, my friends don't really speak death. They're just kind of there. They're just there. Well, think about it this way, okay? Here's going to be a funny analogy. I don't know if you'll get it or not. I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. But nonetheless, at the gym the other day, I was at the gym and I was on the basketball courts and I noticed a little old man, bless his heart, a little old man was walking, okay? And, and they like to walk around and he's moving pretty fast. But one thing I noticed, guys, is this little old man wasn't in athletic attire. He's actually wearing jeans and, and a shirt. But what, what struck me very interesting is that he was wearing not only a belt, right? What does a belt do? Holds up your pants, but he's also wearing suspenders, right? Wasn't that the cutest little thing? And so I'm like, oh, look, he's wearing a belt and suspenders. He's afraid his pants are going to fall, I guess. I don't know. And the Lord sort of spoke to me. You go, Ben, you're weird. Let me tell you what he said. I said, why would, you wear, why would you wear a belt with suspenders? Why would you do both? Okay, well, I know some of us wear belt, not so much to hold up our pants, but because they look nice. Okay, it's just part of the ensemble. Look at my belt. It could be blue, it could be black, it could be whatever, brown, I mean, whatever. You guys tracking with me, right? But suspenders actually hold up your pants. Okay, and then the Lord spoke to me. I see, he said, there are some people in your life that are simply belts. They're just there for, they're just there. They just look good. But what you need is you need to surround yourself with people that are suspenders that hold you up. And I was like, wow, because they're on the shoulders and they, and they hold. And so I was thinking about this, guys, who are you hanging around with? Are you hanging around? Are your friends belts? I mean, they're wonderful, but they're just, they're good. They're just for show. Or you got some, you got some suspenders in your life that are saying, man, it's okay. Let me push you towards the cross. Let me push you towards righteousness. Let me push you towards godliness. Because that's what happens. Peter, he's warming himself at a fire and he's, he's, he's with the wrong people. He's with the wrong folks. He's hanging out with the wrong people. And that's what we learned last week. That's what we learned last week. See, but it starts off with the trial of Jesus and then it kind of veers to where we learn from Peter, but we got to go back and we got to tackle the trials of Jesus. Guys, we, we got to see. Now, here's what I want you to know. I need, you need to take notes because here, here's the thing, guys. At Calvary Chapel, we don't kind of skip. So we're going to go through the trials, okay? And if you're taking note, you need to jot this down somewhere in your Bible or, or on the bulletin, whatever it might be. Here's what we need to know, okay? We need to know that there were six illegal trials. They were illegal, all of six of them. You go, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was convicted and then he was on the cross. No, there were six illegal trials. If you're taking note, you can jot these down. It's going to be important. There's going to be three religious trials where the religious dudes get involved. And then there's going to be three civil trials. In your mind, put your thinking caps on because Rome was overseen, right? All Rome had a huge influence there in Israel, in Jerusalem. And so they were calling the shots from behind the scenes, okay? 
Now, the, the Jewish people are like, just leave us alone, let us do our thing, but Rome is like, okay. So there's going to be six total trials, three religious, three civil. Three civil. You go, well, what are they? Well, the first religious trial, guys, is we're going to see that Jesus is taken to Annas. Annas is going to go, oh, no, 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 let's take you to the second one, to Caiaphas. He's going to hang out with Caiaphas for a little bit. And then the third, we're going to see Jesus before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, okay? The Sanhedrin is the Jewish council made up of 70 men. Everybody say 70. So you get an idea how many men we, they have to get together. It's the Jewish council. After the first three religious trials, they're going to pronounce Jesus guilty, but they don't have any authority in Rome, so what are they going to do? They're going to send him to the civil trial, to first, first civil trial, Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Okay, Pilate's going to go, man, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm on strike two and a half. I can't. So he sends him over to Herod. Hopefully Herod would do something. Herod's not buying it. Sends him back to Pilate. That's the third civil trial. Total of six. Total of six. Now, for time's sake, I can only give you three. Okay, I'm going to give you just the first three religious because we're going to do some digging and I want you to take notes because it'll make a lot more sense. But here's the application I want you to see. Okay, I decided to call this message the trial within the trial. You go, what? Yeah, the trial within the trial. Why, Ben? Because today, guys, we discover that Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial. Cue music, dun, 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 right? The law and order music. But within the court trial, okay, within the six illegal trials, there's another trial brewing. You go, what, what trial? Guys, think about it. It's the trial that Jesus is actually going through, the trial of an illegal injustice that he's going to have to face on our behalf. You go, what do you mean? Explain that. Listen to me. Jesus, our Jesus was innocent of any crime. Can I get an Amen. Think about what my Jesus did. My Jesus went around, he went around healing people. He went around loving people. Man, he killed, he healed them of leprosy. He, he, he fed people. He loved on them. I mean, he taught them. He wasn't, there was nothing that he was, that he could be punished for or even tried for. And yet there's the crime. Well, you go, Ben, well, what's the trial that my, that did Jesus face? Think about this. He's innocent. And yet the enemy, goes to great lengths, guys, to falsely accuse him. The enemy goes to great lengths to simply flat-out lie about him, to mock him and scorn him. And eventually, the enemy goes to great lengths to, to convict him and to incite the crowd to kill him. You go, okay, well, what can I learn from Jesus? Well, let's just say that the, the court trial that Jesus faces is a lot like your life, okay? Your life is the court trial. Well, the problem is, is that within life, there's going to be trials. There's going to be things that we go through. Well, what do you mean? Well, there's going to be people in your life because you're a fully devoted follower of God that's going to lie about you. There's going to be people that will falsely accuse you, that they'll say things about you. You're going to go through this. And you go, Pastor, how do I know? Well, Matthew's gospel actually gives us a reference. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Notice what it says. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing the, for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Guys, listen, he's saying to you that if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus, that you're going to be persecuted for doing the right thing. You're like, what? Yeah, he says, God blesses you. He said, God bless you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things because you are my followers. He said, wow. He said, God bless you because this is going to happen. What do you mean? When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, the enemy is upset. The enemy got upset. And I'm telling you what, so what he does is he goes to great lengths, guys, to cause trial within your trial. You guys tracking with me? And so what happens, it's usually in the form of drama, and drama comes probably when you become a follower, people do a, wait, 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 so we're not going to party anymore? What's up? And they start saying things about you, they start, they start lying about you, well, did you know what she said? Well, da, da, da. And, and that's what happens, you go, wait a minute, we've been friends since fourth grade, what are you talking about? 
and they'll falsely accuse you of stuff. Maybe you're at a job and, and, and the job is and you're competing with other salespeople or whatever it might be. And so, you know, people don't like you because you simply follow Jesus. The word of God says they're going to lie about you. Well, did you know he did this? Did you know she did that? Did you? Huh. And you can see that that's going to happen in life because God, because Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Blessed when people don't like you. Here's the thing, guys. For some reason in our culture, we felt that if, if you became a Christian, that everybody's going to like you, and it's actually quite opposite. Haters are going to hate because you follow Jesus. That's really, that's really the bottom line. Okay? And so he says, be happy about it. What? Be happy about it. Be very glad. Now, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'll follow you, Lord, but... but, but, but when people start talking trash about me, that's not true. I, I don't know what to do. Jesus says, listen, be happy about it. Be glad. And, and I'm thinking, why, Lord? He says, for, great, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted the same way. Nothing that's going to happen to you. Now, where does it start? Well, usually it sometimes happens. Listen, it sometimes happens with who? It sometimes happens with friends, Right? Right? They, they just don't call you anymore. They're talking about you. It happens with coworkers. But you know, where I, you know where it happens the most? Family. Family. There's, there's, there's drama in family. And, I mean, this is just, this is, I mean, wow. Wow. And I think it's because they don't understand Something's changed in your life. Something's different in your life, and they don't, they don't get it. I'll never forget. There was a fellow who came to this church probably about 10 years ago. Well, he didn't come to this church. I had an opportunity. He was, he was basically just um, he was living with his girlfriend. He was doing, a lot of, I was doing a lot of drinking, and he was just, his life was just out of control, and I had an opportunity to witness to him. And when I shared the love of Christ, the, the, the scales fell, and he said, man, I want that. And so he prayed to receive Christ, and it was just the most amazing thing. He's, you could see the countenance on his face change, and he was like, yes. Every, right? He was so excited, and so he started coming. Pastor, would you marry us? I don't want to be living with her. I want to be married. I want to be right in your eyes. Hey, yeah, I'd love to do it. And, and so I, we invited him to church. He started coming to the church until his mom heard what he did. And his mom, that was brought up in a certain other religion, did not like the fact that he became born again. And she did everything in her power too. So the difference was, who, who, Pastor, who won? Was it mom or God? You guys know the answer to that, right? It was mom. It was mom. And so again, we're going to see that, guys. The drama comes from family. And I, what I want you to take out today is like there's going to be trials in our lives. And we're going to see and give a beautiful example of what Jesus do because these, this, this trial, this trial should have never happened. And yet Jesus remained faithful. And so with that, guys, let's see the trial within the trial. So what are we going to do is we're going to jump into the first three trials. In order to do that, we got to go back for just a moment. Now listen up. You can jot this down because I think it's real helpful for you somewhere in your Bible. According to the Gregorian calendar, the arrest, the trials of Jesus took place on April 6, 32 AD. Okay? During around the ninth hour. Okay? So April 6, 32 AD. The Jews basically put together a plan that was illegal. We're going to see that. Inaccurate, unfair, and unwarranted. As a matter of fact, it's been said, quote, no man has ever been more innocent and no man has ever stood before six or six more illegal or unfair trials than Jesus, unquote. So we're going to see that this should have never taken place, but then we're going to tell you the reason why it did. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at John 18, picking it up in verse 12. Notice what it says. It says, then the detachment of troops... And the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Do you guys see this? First and foremost, this is the first religious trial. Jesus is led to Annas. Okay, 
you go, well, how far was that? I mean, they arrested him. They, there, was the, there was the detachment of troops. Yep. It's not very far from Gethsemane. Jesus is in Gethsemane. Now, let me just get your, let me wrap your mind around how far it was. If, let's say if the Garden of Gethsemane is here, right at Calvary, um, Caiaphas' house or Annas' house would be around 50th Street. 50th in Boston. So right up there. Okay. Right where McCorders is. That's about how far it was. So that's where they brought him and they took him up that way. Now, what do we learn from verse 12? Well, the first thing we learn is it was night. Okay. We know that. Okay. Cause in reading the scripture, it says that they came with torches. Why would you come with torches during the day? It came with torches at night. So we know that it was night. They came with clubs and torches. That's the first thing we know. It was at night, but I also know that it was Passover. Passover, yeah, think about this. Why would you want to arrest Jesus at night? Because all the people would have already gone home during the night versus the day. It would have been crowded. It would have been crazy because there were people all over the Temple Mount. There would have been people in right in the garden. And so you don't want to cause a ruckus. You don't want to cause a scene. Okay? You don't want people with their cell phones out videoing the whole thing because it's wrong. And so they do it at night. Everybody would have been home. Everybody been home. Okay? The third is because Jesus would have been easy to detect. Who else is going to be hanging out at the Garden of Gethsemane at 2 in the morning? And there's Jesus. And there's Jesus. But what does Jesus do? You see, Judas thought the dude might run. He's got his disciples. He might see us coming and flee. So we need six to, six to what, three to six hundred troops. Well, Jesus doesn't run because he has a plan. So what does Jesus do? The Bible tells us in John 18, verse 4, he says, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, he knew what was going down. You guys get that? You go, what does that mean? He was in control all the whole time. Okay? He went forward and he said to them, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Right? And they go, Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I am. And they all fell down, right? And they got back up and he says, I'm sorry, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Boom. And they all fell down. I mean, and that's the whole thing, right? So they go to arrest him and Peter, who can relate with Peter? Peter gets in the flesh, pulls out a sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. It's like, Pete, what are you doing, dude? Right? And so uh, this is just going crazy, but Jesus stops it right off the bat. Jesus stops and says, no, 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 let me, let me put that back. Now, here's what you guys need to see. Picture yourself in the scene. They see Jesus put back the ear. I mean, can you imagine Melchus? Here's my ear. What? He can't hear very well. He puts it back on and, and they, everybody sees that. So right off the bat, it's like, who are we arresting here? But the Bible tells us something very interesting that I want you to see. In verse 12, guys, if you'll look at it again, notice what it says. It says, Then a detachment of troops, captain and officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus. Okay, we got that. It says, but they bound him. They bound him. What does that mean? Well, Jim Bishop writes this. The proper manner taught by the Academy of Soldiering in Rome was to take the accused by the right wrist, twist his arm behind him so that his knuckles touched between his shoulder blades, at the same time jam the heel of the boot down on the right instep and tie the other arm with a loose noose around his neck. You see, so they didn't just put him in handcuffs like this or they didn't have Jesus with his hands in front. They took his arm and they put it all the way back as far as they could up here took the other one and had it with a, a, a noose around his neck. Well, what did my Jesus do? What did my Lord do? And here they have him bound. And they have him bound and they're taking him. So where do they lead him? Well, they lead him to Annas' house. Annas' house. Okay? We're in the first trial. Now, we, I did some digging, okay? Got on the internet and I said, okay, how is this illegal? Well, there are several things that made this illegal right off the bat. Okay, this would have been the red challenge flag. This would have been, I mean, this would have been it right here, guys. You go, what's that? Number one, check this out. If a man is arrested for a capital crime, he could never be arrested at night. Okay, in other words, it was against the law to arrest anyone at night. Okay, it had to be in broad daylight. 
And Jesus got arrested between 1 and 2 a.m. So right off the bat, they could never arrest him. You're like, oh. Number two, check this out. This will blow your mind. If a man was arrested for a capital crime, no one cooperating in the arrest could be in any way connected to the one who was accused. No arrest for capital crime could be made based upon information given by a follower or a colleague of the accused. Now, my Bible students are going, ding, 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 ding. Judas is the one who brought him. Exactly, guys. Judas was a follower. So if Jesus was guilty, then guess what? So would be Judas. Now, what should have happened? First of all, it shouldn't have been at night. Can I get an amen so you guys know this? Number two, if they were going to do it at night, the moment they arrested Jesus, they should have turned and arrested Judas right off the bat. Okay? That's like if Santos throws me under the bus because he's one of my guys, they arrest him too. But they ignored all of that. They ignored it. So that, that makes it illegal. That makes it illegal right off the bat. Night and that. But let me give you a third one. Okay? And this is, this is Captain Obvious. There should be no Jewish trial could ever be held at night. Okay? Not only could you not be arrested at night, but you could not have a trial at night. Right? The law stated that it must be held during the daytime. Okay, so let's just bypass two. Okay, we're going to arrest you. Okay, there goes Jesus. We're not going to look at Judas. Judas, don't just go, go hide over here. They should have waited until the morning. They should have waited till the morning. Okay? And number four, the members of the Jewish court, after hearing a testimony of a true witness, none whichever brought to Jesus, right? They were falsely accused. They could not immediately act or judge. They couldn't pass judgments once they heard. They had to go home. Listen, this is the law. They had to go home, remain alone, and separate from one another for two days, thinking about the testimonies they heard. Right? That's kind of where we get the phrase, let me sleep on it. Let me sleep on it. Once you hear something, you go home and you ponder it before you give a judgment. You should never go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? What did you say? Well, Josh said he, he was this, this. Oh, guilty, guilty, because Josh said that would never happen. That's against the law. You'd have to go, okay. And I can text Josh going, okay, well, give me the details. Tell me what you really saw. Tell me what you feel. I had to stay alone, and I had to, and you're going, okay, wow, wow. Annas, guys, they should have never taken him to Annas. You go, why? According to the Talmud, Okay, the Jewish law book, the Sanhedrin is forbidden from convening between the time of the evening and the morning sacrifices. So according to the law, this is all wrong. And he should have never stood before Annas. Why? Because Annas was not the high priest anymore. He was not the high priest. Well, you go, Ben, I've got a question. Why was he taken to Annas? Here's why. If you go back just a little bit, okay, when Jesus came in the temple, he made a whip of cords. Remember when he was going to drive all those people out for doing business in the temple? And he said, you will not make my father's house a den of thieves, but it should be called a house of prayer, right? And he caused a ruckus. I mean, it wasn't, Jesus didn't, I mean, he had a cord. He's driving some folks out. Guess who the high priest at the time was? Annas. Annas remembered that. He's like, man, you, you made me look bad. You made me look bad. Well, Annas is going, okay, if we arrest Jesus, you bring him to my house. You bring him to my house. And you're going, wow. So even though Rome says, okay, I know God says that you should be the high priest for your entire lifetime, but we don't like that idea. How about you just, we put some term limits on. Annas, you're not the high priest, pick somebody. So Annas goes, okay, who am I going to pick? Who am I going to pick? I know, I'm going to pick my son-in-law. Why? Because I can control my son-in-law. So Caiaphas, you're the high priest. That's why it says high priest was the high, or it says Caiaphas was the high priest that year. So it was a year, okay? You go, pastor, what's the point? Annas is still calling the shots. Caiaphas is there, he's the high priest, but Annas is still calling the shots. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Guys, everything about this is illegal. He has no business standing before someone who is not in the council, and there is no witnesses, no matter, as a matter of fact, guys, he wasn't even required to answer. 
He wasn't even required. So all of this should have been mistrial, boom. Let him go. Let him go. But he doesn't. We move to the second, right? The second religious trial. Look at verse 24. John 18, 24 says, Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. That's the next one. Annas says, okay, go to Caiaphas. Mark gives us a little more detail if you want to jot this down. Mark 14 and 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. We know who that is. That's Caiaphas. And it says, And with Caiaphas was assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. So what Caiaphas has been doing while all this is going on is he's been grabbing a group together about 3.30 in the morning. Okay, He's been waking some folks up. Now remember, it's illegal because it's dark. It's illegal because of the preliminary hearing. It's illegal because it's in the wrong place. You go, why? They're at Caiaphas' house where they should be at the council chamber. All of this screams mistrial. All of it screams mistrial. Well, what's going on at Caiaphas' house? Well, Mark gives us a little bit more insight. See, see, John just gives us snapshots, but Mark says in Mark 14, 56, he says, many false witnesses spoke against him, and they contradicted each other. You know what's going on? What, what Caiaphas and all the Jewish council have been doing is they've been trying to get false witnesses to come in and give bad testimony. And so you have a guy coming up, and, 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 and Kevin comes up, and Kevin's like, yeah, I saw that guy. I saw that guy, Jesus. He's bad news. Really, Kevin, tell us what did you see. I saw him still, I saw him still something at 7-Eleven. It was just the other night I saw him, and they're like, wow. Well, what would happen at that time is then Bob would come in and go, no, I don't think it was 7-Eleven. I used that Walmart. They're just, they're just falsely accusing him. They're just falsely, they're, they, everything they say is not true. Mark's going, this isn't true. This isn't true. And then finally he says, some men stood up and gave false testimony. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we got him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even they didn't get their stories right. That's what Mark tells us. I wonder how Jesus felt being falsely accused of things he didn't do, things he didn't say, of even having the wrong mission. Do you guys remember when, when our Jesus healed somebody and somebody said, oh, he, he only heals by the, by the devil? That's like even people were even saying that he was, he was healing by Satan. And then Jesus was like, no, no, guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. And so they're falsely accusing. You go, well, pastor, what's the point? And I think, well, I think the, some takeaways, guys, is I think no matter what we go through, I think we can, first of all, realize that that's going to happen in our lives. And because you're a follower of Jesus, not everybody's going to like you. Can I get an amen on that? And not because we're jerks, not because we're mean, not because we're ugly, but because we just love Jesus. Okay? And the second thing is, is I mean, there's times when it's just like, you know? You go, well, Ben, what happened? Well, before we jump to Luke 22, something unbelievable happened at Caiaphas' house. You go, what was it? Well, we know that it was at night. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, is being assembled, being assembled right? They had to get 70 of those guys together. Guess what they did with my Jesus? The Bible says that they put him in a pit. Can anybody tell me why they put him in a pit? You go, well, hold on. Because the Sanhedrin couldn't bring a verdict until morning. So they couldn't, they couldn't do anything right now. So what do they do? They took my Jesus and they put him in a pit. Now, remember, he's bound right hand all the way up here, loose. Okay. So what they did is say, okay, we've got to wait till morning. They've already messed up. They got to wait till morning. So they tie a rope around my Jesus. And if you go to Israel today, right under Caiaphas' house is this, is this pit. It's this pit. You've got a round area, so, but not very big, but a man could fit through it. Okay. Now you can go down the steps and you can go under there and you can actually pray. We do a Bible study down there. But if you look up, all you can see is a small opening and it's very, very deep. And it's just a cave. It's just a cave, not very big. Okay. 
And here's what they did with my Jesus. They took a rope around him. Now, they're thinking he's a common criminal. So I am pretty sure they're not laying him going, okay, be careful, watch out. Okay, do you need anything? What they did is they put him there and they dropped him with a rope. And as he hit, he probably, he was probably bruised from the sides. He was probably, the rope probably bruised his ribs as it came up. I mean, it, he was, they were not, they were not gentle with him. And this is not to mention that if you go to Israel today, there's a steep hill where they actually, there's some steps. They actually brought him up. We walked those steps and they probably dragged him up there. Why? Because he was bound. I mean, you guys try putting your hand like this in a noose and your leg down there. It's, it's going to be, you're not going to be walking very clearly. And so they dropped my Jesus guys in a dark pit. And it would have been painful. And I have no doubt that he might have hit his head or hurt himself. I know that the pit was dark. It was a very dark place. And it was probably so dark that he couldn't see his hand in front of his face if he could put up his hand. And my Jesus was very human, and so probably all the things in his mind were going through it. Everything in his mind, like, what am I doing here? I mean, this is illegal. What's going on? Yet he stayed the course. He stayed the course. Guys, just hours before his death, he was thrown into a pit. Well, if you're taking note, the psalmist in Psalm 88 kind of gives us some insight to this. Psalm 88 had already been almost prophetically. Now, I won't read the whole psalm for sake of time, but let's look at the first six verses. Psalm 88 says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Verse 3 says, For my soul is filled, is full of troubles, and my life draws near to the grave. Who's he speaking of? That's Jesus. Why? Because just earlier he's in the garden, right? Oh, okay, well, let's go back earlier. A little bit earlier, he's over here. He's, he's in the upper room, and he says, My soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. I'm sorry, I'm sorrowful. And then in the garden, what does he say? Guys, think about what he says. He's going down and he's saying, God, and he's, and he's, and he's sweating great drops of blood. And he looks up and he says, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way that Marie can be saved? That Amanda can be saved? Is there any other way Armando can be saved? God, please take this cup from me. And he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. His soul, he knew he was going to the grave, guys. He knew, and he says this, listen, for my soul is full of my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. And are cut off from your hand. Verse six says, "You have laid you have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness and in depths." And there's Jesus in Caiaphas' house. There you go. Well, as daybreak came, guess what they did with my Jesus? They pulled him out. But I don't think they were gentle. It looks to me like they had the robe, well, get him out, get the prisoner, and they just probably just yanked. My Jesus probably hit his head because it's all stone, and they pulled him out. Now, listen, if we had more time, guys, this is so symbolic. This is so symbolic of what Jesus actually is going to do in a few hours. You go, what happens? Listen, when Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible says that he's going to go to Hades, Okay. Let me explain Hades in just a second, okay? Hades is comprised of two compartments, okay? There's a compartment of Hades known as Abraham's bosom, and it's where the people who believed God go. Abraham's bosom, okay? Hades, right? Yesterday, if you were at the men's group, it said that Abraham was accounted to him as righteousness. Where did Abraham go? He went to Abraham's, he went to this bosom. He had all these people who believed that's where he was. The second part of Hades were those who didn't believe. We call that hell. That's what we call it. When somebody goes, well, they died and went to hell, it's the second part of Hades. 
When Jesus died and he descended, he went to Hades, he went to Abraham's bosom, and he said, hey guys, you ready to go home? The Bible says he led captivity captive and he took them back to heaven. Okay? The other part is still full, even today. And we have to do our very best to keep people out of there. There's people who are dying even today who don't believe in my Jesus and they're going to Hades, waiting judgment. You go, what happens to me as a believer? If you're a believer, when you die, you take your final breath. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You're going to be with him in heaven right off the bat. Right off the bat. That's based on his word. That's based on his word. You go, well, what's it symbolic of? Well, again, Jesus going into the pit, leading captivity captive. But guess what, ha- what happens? It's also symbolic of a resurrection, isn't it? Because he comes out of the pit, back up. And in three days, Jesus is going to be what? Resurrected. Resurrected. Okay? So it's an amazing, amazing uh, it's so symbolic. It's so amazing. Well, that's what do. Well, it's daybreak. So now we go to the third religious trial. Okay? Say goodbye to John. Just turn to Luke 22, uh, Luke 22 real fast, verse 20, 66. Just think about this. By the time the first two trials were over, Jesus is probably bleeding and bruised, and yet there wasn't any official verdict. Nobody had pronounced him guilty. Okay? If you've been paying attention, you know why. Because nobody can do that till morning. Thank you. Yeah. So everything that's transpired has just been illegal. It should have never happened. But then we come and they take him before the Sanhedrin. Luke twenty two sixty six. as soon as it says this, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priest scribes, this is the Sanhedrin, came together and led him into their council saying, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit at the right hand of the the power of God. And they said to him, now here it is. Here's where they're going to pronounce him. Are you then the Son of God? And he said, you rightly say that I am. That was it. We have no further testimony needed. Doesn't matter who said anything. Here it is. We have heard it for ourselves, right, from your own mouth. In other words, guilty. Guilty. This, guys, the third trial was the shortest of all trials. You see, they had already looked to, to, in their minds that Jesus was already guilty. You go, so what happened? Everyone, every one of them except Nicodemus, why why not Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, right? Nick at night came to Jesus, got saved. He didn't say anything, but everyone else unanimously voted to send him to Pilate. That was the third trial. So let's close our Bible study with this, guys. In two weeks, we'll continue with the other three civil trials. But I want to draw some application, okay? I want to see that, the, that your trial, the trial that you've gone through today and the trial that you'll face tomorrow, whatever it might be, guys, that the trial, well, it has a plan and it has a purpose. You go, what's the first thing I should do if I'm in a trial? What's the first thing? Okay, jot this down. Stay faithful to God. Well, Pastor, that's easier said than done. You're behind the pulpit. No, no, no. Here's what I want all of us to do. In the midst of a trial, guys, we need to stay focused. We need to stay faithful to God. Because even though my Jesus was in an illegal trial, even though he was beat, bat, you know, battered and bruised, whatever, I mean, he stayed faithful to God. He stayed faithful to God. Okay, so I want to remain faithful. God, help me to stay faithful. Why, Ben? Because he's going to see you through. He's going to see you through it. And he has a greater purpose in that trial 
than simply the outcome. Are you guys with me? He has a greater purpose in your trial than simply the outcome. Okay, pastor, explain. Okay, explain. In 2015, the doctor looked at me and my wife and said, she has breast cancer. And it's possibly life-threatening. At that point, I didn't realize that we were about to enter into a major trial. If you had asked me in 2014, I was just like, oh, and then all of a sudden we're in the major trial. Right? Life is the court, but that's the trial. You're like, okay. We entered that. We entered the chemo. We entered, you know, the one thing that I realized is in that trial is that I needed to remain faithful to the Lord. But I also had, the Lord had to break down my pride. You go, how so? Listen, I told everybody to pray. I had everybody around the world pray. And I was like, what, what, what should we pray for? Pray for healing. Pray for healing. Every Wednesday night, we'd pray for healing. We'd pray for Nathalie to be healed. Well, you know what? God healed her. You go, well, what do you mean? God healed her. Right now, there's no cancer in her body. God healed her. Okay? You go, well, did he do it supernaturally? Sometimes he does it supernaturally. Sometimes he uses doctors. Sometimes he uses modern medicine. But I know this. God healed my wife. But he didn't heal her for her. You see, the greater purpose of that trial was for everybody else. The greater purpose of the trial, guys, think about this. The greater purpose was not the trial, but, that, but, but, but what the outcome was going to be. You see, because people can look at her life and go, there's hope. There's hope. Guys, she gets calls from people all the time. They've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she says, there's hope. There's hope. I'm, I'm a survivor. We have a lot of survivors, guys. And I saw that. And I saw, it. man, the healing was, I mean, thank God for the healing. Amen? But the healing wasn't for us. It was for somebody else. So she could minister. Guys, the trial that you go through, the trial that you come out of, it's for somebody else. So that you can offer hope and encouragement. And if you will, you can be suspenders and not a belt. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. The last three trials are going to get worse. Because Pilate is going to think, I need to appease the crowd. I'm going to take a cat of nine tails and I'm going to beat him into an inch of his life in hopes that people would chill. In a beating that should have killed most people, Jesus comes out of it. It's only going to get worse for Jesus. It's only going to get worse. But Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission to lay down his life moving forward. Do you guys see that? He didn't waver. He didn't say, whoa, 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 time out. This is all illegal. You guys can't be doing this. He stayed focused. Why? Because he knew that he was going to lay down his life for us. He knew it. He was on mission. See, the, the book of Hebrew says, check this out, for the joy, right? He says, for the joy of the cross that Jesus endured, right? He, and I started thinking about that. I started thinking, what do you mean? What, what, where is there joy in hanging from a cross? But he wasn't talking about, the, about dying on the cross. He said, well, what's the joy? It's, it's you. The joy set before me. You're the joy set before him. He endured the cross because of us. And can I say this to you? He takes great joy in who you are. Listen to me. I know, I know we mess up. Can I get an amen? I know we sin. But you know, can I just encourage you this way? When Jesus looks at you, he is pleased with you. And you're the joy that warms his heart. Because he knows you're a follower, but he knows you're not perfect. He says, all right. All right. One last thing. One last thing. Remember this. With God. Everybody say, with God. With God. With God, 
in every death, there's a resurrection. So in every trial, you're going to come out better. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out more like him. And when people smell you, you're going to smell like Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love. We thank you, God, that you're in control of all things, and we love you, Lord. We trust that you're going to do a mighty work in our lives. And as we come, Lord, to the end of our Bible study, we would ask that your Holy Spirit move on our hearts. With every eye closed and every head bowed, maybe you're here today and you're not in a right relationship with God. Maybe, maybe, you, man, you can relate when I said you're, you're following Jesus at a distance. You've, but maybe today you've come here and you've come seeking and he's, he's moved in your heart. Listen, if that's you, we don't want you to leave here without prayer. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and you want Jesus to be, you want to surrender your life to Jesus again, you want to recommit your life to Jesus, you just want somebody to pray for you. Man, we, we want to be that. We want to do that. So if you're here and you just need prayer, we just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, just pray for me. Santos is going to see and we'll definitely pray for you. But if you're here and you just, you, I've been walking, I've been following Jesus at a diff, distance, my life, been, seriously, I need Jesus. Would you just lift your hand say, Pastor, pray for me. Nobody will see it. It's between you and God. Just want to give you an invitation real quick. Anyone? Father, we thank you, God, for your great love. We love you. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.